Good morning, and welcome to Between the Covers. I'm David Naiman, your host. Today's guest is debut novelist Justin Torres. A graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop, Justin's work has appeared in Granta, Tin House, and Glimmer Train, and currently he is a Wallace Stegner Fellow at Stanford University. His debut novel, We the Animals, has been heralded for its beautiful and concentrated prose. NPR likened it to a diamond, brilliant and brilliantly compressed. Michael Cunningham called it a dark jewel of a book. And Esquire magazine, a knock to the head that will leave your mouth agape. All agree Justin Torres' debut is that of an original new voice. Welcome to Between the Covers, Justin Torres. Thanks. I'm delighted to be here. Let's start with your style, which is often described not just by the people above as compressed like a jewel. Is is that how you see it? Is We the Animals something that you've polished and honed and concentrated over a long period of time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a tiny, slim little book, but it took me five or six years to write. So I'm really attracted to the concise and precise language, and I work really, really slowly, and I take my time and I'm, you know, really decisive about each word. So, so yeah, it, it's definitely been compressed and, and kind of stripped of any extra words or unnecessary images or anything like that. Did you always know it was going to be a short book full of really short, punchy chapters? I think so. I, I When I started writing, I didn't have the, an idea that I was writing a novel. You know, that wasn't like my conception. Um, I was just writing. <laughs> I was just kind of trying to get to the heat and like get to the moment. And so I just had these fragments and they were all kind of punchy and short. And so when I started to think about, oh, is this going to be a book? I realized that it would have to be a short book because the kind of repetition of the structure, that episodic nature wouldn't sustain itself over, you know, 400 pages. It would get redundant. And so it needed to the entire structure of the book needed to mirror the structure of each chapter, which is it comes hard and fast, and then it's done. Well, let's have you read a chapter. It's not very often that we can ask an author to read a chapter, but <laughs> let's have you read the debut or the beginning chapter of We the Animals. Great. Yeah, it's called We Wanted More. We wanted more. We knocked the butt ends of our forks against the table, tapped our spoons against our empty bowls. We were hungry. We wanted more volume, more riots. We turned up the knob on the TV until our ears ached with the shouts of angry men. We wanted more music on the radio. We wanted beats. We wanted rock. We wanted muscles on our skinny arms. We had bird bones, hollow and light, and we wanted more density, more weight. We were six snatching hands, six stomping feet. We were brothers, boys, three little kings locked in a feud for more. When it was cold, we fought over blankets until the cloth tore down the middle. When it was really cold, when our breath came out in frosty clouds, Manny crawled into bed with Joel and me. Body heat, he said. Body heat, we agreed. We wanted more flesh, more blood, more warmth. When we fought, we fought with boots and garage tools, snapping pliers. We grabbed at whatever was nearest and we hurled it through the air. We wanted more broken dishes, more shattered glass. We wanted more crashes. And when our pops came home, we got spankings. Our little round butt cheeks were tore up, red, raw, leather-whipped. We knew there was something on the other side of pain, on the other side of the sting. Prickly heat radiated upward from our thighs and backsides. Fire consumed our brains. But we knew that there was something more, some place our pops was taking us with all this. We knew because he was meticulous, 
because he was precise, because he took his time. He was awakening us. He was leading us somewhere beyond burning and ripping, and you couldn't get there in a hurry. And when our father was gone, we wanted to be fathers. We hunted animals. We drudged through the muck of the creek, chasing down bullfrogs and water snakes. We plucked the baby robins from their nest. We liked to feel the beat of tiny hearts, the struggle of tiny wings. We brought their tiny animal faces close to ours. Who's your daddy, we said. Then we laughed and tossed them into a shoebox. Always more, always hungrily scratching for more. But there were times, quiet moments, when our mother was sleeping, when she hadn't slept in two days, and any noise, any stair creak, any shut door, any stifled laugh, any voice at all, might wake her. Those still, crystal mornings when we wanted to protect her, this confused goose of a woman, this stumbler, this gusher, with her backaches and headaches and her tired, tired ways, this uprooted Brooklyn creature, this tough talker, always with tears when she told us she loved us, her mixed-up love, her needy love, her warmth. Those mornings when sunlight found the cracks in our blinds and laid itself down in crisp strips on our carpet. Those quiet mornings when we'd fix ourselves oatmeal and sprawl onto our stomachs with crayons and paper, with glass marbles that we were careful not to rattle. When our mother was sleeping, when the air did not smell like sweat or breath or mold, when the air was still and light, those mornings when silence was our secret game and our gift and our sole accomplishment, we wanted less. Less weight, less work, less noise, less father, less muscles and skin and hair. We wanted nothing. Just this. Just this. Wow, that that really reads like almost like an incantation or a prose poem. Did you did you try to go for that? sort of rhythmic lyrical quality when you were writing? I you know I did when I when I started I didn't have firm distinctions between poetry, you know, memoir nonfiction and fiction. I, I was just writing. And and they didn't I, I wasn't concerned too much with that. So I felt free to make things up. I felt free to be extremely poetic and lyrical and I felt free to borrow from my own life as well. And so it all kind of combined and, and that chapter itself, I was waiting for the train on the subway and I didn't have anything to write down because I'm a bad author like that. And uh, and so I had to memorize it. And I forced myself to, because to, you know, it was coming to me and I was like, ah. So, it, so it's particularly incantory and, you know, it's particularly like a, like a chant. Um, but it worked. And so now when I write, I try to memorize as much as possible before I sit down and type it out. Because if it's sticking in my mind, then it must be something right on the level of sound and rhythm. It feels like the parents loom really large in this book, but at the same time, the kids aren't really being parented. And you really have this interesting paradox. And, and, and literally, the mother who is working at night is sleeping during the day when the kids are up. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us more, uh, orient the, the listener more to this world that they're going to be entering. Yeah, uh, Ma and Pops are definitely um, kind of ill-prepared for this endeavor of raising children. They're teenagers, you know, she's 14 and he's 16 when they start having children, and they have to work hard to put food on the table. But they're also, you know, especially Pops is, you know, he's still a very young man, and so he's kind of violently passionate. And and Ma is working night shifts, and she's a little bit disoriented and, you know, and overwhelmed by by all that she's trying to take care of. So 
So the children grow up with a certain lack, a certain absence for sure, and they're allowed to run wild a bit, maybe a bit more than most boys. Well, it feels like even though there's incredible neglect and there's a lot of of, um, violence in We the Animals, Mm -hmm. there's also these unexpected moments of great love and uh, tenderness and passion and sensuality and sexuality in the book. But it feels like the brothers have no clue what they're going to get from one moment to the mm-hmm. next, which, mm-hmm. I mean, shows the absence of like an overarching parental guidance, even though you get the sense that the parents really love their kids. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was important to me to, to accomplish two things. One was to make sure that there were no villains and, and there was no victims to show that although these, you know, these parents may be flawed, terms like dysfunctional or abusive are just they're not relevant. You know, they, they're too simple. And I wanted to show that it's actually really complicated. You know, families like this love each other fiercely, even as they're kind of failing each other. Another thing um, that I wanted to to get at was kind of the 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 perspective of childhood, you know what I mean? Where you don't you don't know what's coming next. You're kind of wide eyed and open to it all. And 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 you're look and and I think that the boys in this book are always kind of looking for love. So sometimes even when they're getting hit, they're they're able to transform it into an act of caring, or uh, you know, or see the beauty in you know the father at one point throws the narrator into the lake in order to teach him how to swim, and and he's able to you know when he surfaces, they're they're worried about him, and that worry and concern is what's meaningful to him. Not that he's been thrown into the lake, right. but that he knows that his parents want him to survive and thrive. Yeah. We have this story that just came out in The New Yorker reverting to a wild state that, mm-hmm. I, that I just loved. And I noticed that there's this similar tension, different uh, emphasis, but a mm-hmm. similar tension between domesticity and unfettered freedom. And, mm-hmm. and obviously the title of this book suggests that with We the Animals. And, uh, and the, the kids seem to both thrive in this sense of freedom, but also have a sense of anger that they're not um, being domesticated in a sense. Yeah. Uh, where, where, what is fascinating to you about this tension between uh, a craving for domesticity and, all, and the contrary craving for breaking out and being free? Yeah, you know, that, that's a really, really great question. And I think that, you know, the title of that New Yorker story, Reverting to a Wild State, is just put the dictionary definition of feral like I just pulled it out of, out of the dictionary and I think that you know to a certain extent it's applicable to the book as well and that these boys you know without a certain level of you know guidance and structure you know you, you do start to revert to you know an instinctual way of, of being and I think I don't know I just think that that's fascinating because there is something so beautiful about the free fall of freedom. There's something that's so, I don't know, magical and wondrous about, you know, living kind of unfettered by, you know, whatever, you know, strict ethical or moral or cultural, you know, codes. Um, so, 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 yeah, I'm fascinated with that tension b- between, you know, a kind of careful, caring, domesticated love and a kind of, you know, absolute freedom. You make this really interesting choice as an author that reinforces that feeling, and that's the use of the third-person plural. You're always using we, which gives the effect, obviously, that the brothers almost have one mind. Is that? Are you trying to create a sense of a, of a pack or a, a group of animals that are um, you know, thinking together? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, 
that first chapter that I read was one of the first chapters that came to me. And so I had this we, and I, and, and I was like, what am I, you know, what do you, what do you do with that? You know, how do you incorporate that into a book? Do I want to write third person for, forever, third person plural? And so our, so I, or first person plural, sorry. <laughs> so I, um, so I thought a lot about that. And I, and kind of one of the reasons why the narrator goes unnamed is because I wanted the focus to be on when is his name we and when is his name I? And when is he feeling included and part of this kind of pack mentality? When is he able to just understand and communicate with his brothers and, and feel really like one of them? And then when is he feeling separate and, and outside the family? And a lot of that has to do with his kind of queer sensibility that, you know, obviously it's not articulated as such in the book because he's a child. He doesn't think like that. But that is, the, you know, certain squeamishness towards the violence and machismo in the family is what is separating him. Another interesting thing about We the Animals is really throughout the whole book, we don't really see anybody significantly other than the parents and the children. It's almost like uh, a hermetic bubble. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I think that lends to that sense of concentration and the sense of um, everything being intensified because there is no outside world. Was that something that you actually consciously thought about creating or did it just sort of happen by accident on the page when you were writing? No, I definitely was very, very conscious. of. I wanted to kind of get a claustrophobic sense of, to, to, to heighten the sense of kind of tragedy. I mean, I was thinking this family, which is very similar to my own family in certain ways, you know, it's very different than my own family because I was making myth out of it. So the characters are almost simplified. You know, as much as they are complex, they're almost... Like their 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 essential forms are are what's shown, and and like myth, you know, the the rest of the world is kind of just out there on the fringes. But these characters and the way that they're you know essential is is all that matters, and they're kind of trapped in their dynamic, and kind of like you know in mythology, like Zeus is always Zeus. You know, when he enters the scene, you know that he's not gonna be like you know, complicated and like, and like being like, should I do this or do that? Like he's decisive, you know, he throws a thunderbolt, he steals your wife. Like that's what he does, you know? And in that way, Pops is always Pops. Ma is always Ma. And kind of, you know, I want, I wanted to strip away as much kind of proper nouns, you know, there's not a really exact geographic location. It's just kind of, you know, hinted at that, you know, I wanted to strip away as much of that and make it as universal as possible. In case you just tuned in, you're listening to Between the Covers, and we're talking to debut novelist Justin Torres about his book, We the Animals. I usually don't ask writers, Justin, um, who are writing fiction about, is this autobiograph- <laughs> autobiographical or is this not? But you sort of invite that into the, in, both with the way you write this, I think, and, and in interviews that I've read, yeah. it seems like that really is the material that you use. Yeah. And I'm curious... Um, uh, how that process works for you, and what is the what is the impetus behind it for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that you know, I like I said, I didn't I didn't go into it with this really strong you know classification fiction here and nonfiction here. I mean, the book is wholly fiction, and my family, which I'm very protective of, are, are very different than the people in the book. But at the same time, I fe- I feel free to borrow from my personal experience. I don't think that. It's something that needs to be like hidden, you know what I mean, or, or or that one should be ashamed of, you know. Just because you're borrowing from it doesn't mean that that's you, you know. And people wonder, 
if I feel exposed or if I feel like I'm exposing people. And I'm like, what? I, I just don't see the difference between anybody who sits down and creates art. You know, it is it is artifice. It is, you know, like using language and imagery to make something beautiful and to express a message. And no matter how much you try to stick to the facts, you're still crafting something. And so, I don't know. I just think that there's no point in me, you know, kind of burying that that family dynamic. But isn't that the paradox also that in creating artifice or creating a lie, essentially, sometimes you get at a deeper truth? I I know that you mentioned in in an interview that your brothers said, oh, yeah, I remember that incident from the book, but the incident that they remembered didn't really happen in real life. So I'm guessing that something about that incident triggered something true that they were relating to. Is that true? I think so. I think that you can get at an emotional truth through, you know, fiction that, you know, because you're simplifying, because you're, you know, organizing all the material to to point in this one direction, um, you know, you you get, you can get there and, and you can fool people. I mean, yeah, I think that a lot of people assume that everything in this book happened and it's just it's just not true at all and I don't want to disappoint people who who read it that way but it's you know it's made up and and I think that memory is is so so slippery and I have a very murky memory of my own childhood I mean I really can't remember much I have a pretty terrible memory in general so you know I, I wanted to to look at the way that memory works in the book you know and that is that you know, there are certain moments that kind of bubble up and rise to the surface. And, you know, yeah. Do you have any sense of fiction having an advantage in this regard over memoir and going back and revisiting your childhood and and trying to figure this out? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is one of those distinctions that seems silly to me. You know, I wish I wish that we could call things literature. I wish that we could call books books and it didn't have to say a novel on the cover or a memoir or whatever, because really it is an advantage that fiction has over memoir, but also memoir just really seems like fiction to me. I mean, it's it's invented, you know, there's just no way to get around that essential fact, you know. I mean, there's there's reporting and journalism on the one hand that is really aiming for a certain kind of, you know, objectivity, although, of course, it never gets there. But but with memoir, it's so far in the subjective that you just, I don't know, it, it is fiction. <laughs> so so when people are reading We the Animal, you, you feel like you're in the voice of these three brothers. Mm-hmm. But at times you feel like you're really in the voice subtly of the youngest brother, who mm-hmm. seems more tentative, less savage, mm-hmm. um, more questioning and more fragile, mm-hmm. I think, than the other two. I don't know if that's how you see them, but mm-hmm. I, I, is that the character that you see yourself in when you when you were writing? Is was that your entry point? Yeah, in terms yeah. Of the family. I mean, yeah. I I definitely wanted this the narrator to be queer. I definitely wanted um, as much as I use my own personal experience. I never like I don't see myself in the book. If that makes sense, you know, I like I, I borrow a lot you know, to, to invent this character, but then the character is, is, is just that. Um, but I definitely wanted him to have this certain, yeah, exactly tentative, soft, slightly more maybe effeminate or or effeminate, um, and, and to be separated from the family. And then as he moves into adolescence, he kind of gets a questioning and skeptical and even negative view of his family, which 
I, I think is a fault on his on his part. And so the end of the book, there's a lot of betrayal, but it, I wanted to, I wanted it to be obvious that that everyone was culpable for that betrayal. It wasn't just a family treating one child badly. It was it was he was judging them. He was moving out. He was pulling away from them as well. And there's also a, a way in which this is really a book about boys and men. And 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 as we mentioned earlier, the mom is is literally asleep through mm-hmm. much of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us more about that. Is 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 your family um, all brothers? And yeah. and did you intend this to really be about finding one's own manhood and and about male sexuality? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I do have two brothers. Um, Kind of the hard facts of the book do mirror my own biography um, very closely, and yeah, I think I have a lot of opinions about manhood, about gender, about gender roles, um, and I think that they, they are in this book. There's a certain, you know, there's there is something kind of beautiful and vibrant and bold about you know the machismo in this book, you know, but then there's also something slightly misogynist, you know, as well that, that, you know, as a child, again, I didn't have these terms, but, but did kind of frighten me, you know, um, and I think that the narrator of this book has, has a similar reaction. Um, and, and eventually that, you know, kind of hatred of the feminine translates into, especially w- when you have a queer person in your life, you know, that, that can become especially explosive. So, but I kind of wanted to flip that and throw it, throw it on his head, show that, you know, the, the brothers and the father in this book are still able to act with a certain amount of grace and tenderness and kindness, you know, and, and that it's, it is really complicated. You did a segment on NPR, um, You Must Read This, about mm-hmm. the book Dream Boy. Mm-hmm. Is that book influencing the writing of We the Animals at all? Um, I read Dream Boy after I wrote we the animals actually. I read um, Jim Grimsley's uh, Winter Birds a while ago, and his writing style and his attitude and his approach towards the world and towards writing is is definitely influential on me. Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't get to Dream Boys Dream Boy until uh, until after I read this book. I uh, wish I wish I had. <laughs> are there any other writers um, or authors that you look to for inspiration? Yeah, I I mean. Inspiration on a bold level, there's people like Dorothy Allison and James Baldwin, you know what I mean, who as kind of active people in the world, speakers and as writers, like I just think are incredible. But stylistically for this book, I looked more people like Grace Paley, um, Stuart Dybeck, um, Tilly Olson, people who are writing concise and precise you know, little snapshots, episodic moments, you know, who, who are doing the stuff with structure and, and language that is similar to what I think I'm trying to achieve in this book. Another aspect that really brings that out, too, is that you don't really use backstory and exposition. Mm-hmm. In the, it's all in scene, and mm-hmm. we jump into the scene, and we jump out of the scene every couple pages. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I wanted it to be as immediate as possible, because I think that backstory and exposition are tricks of the adult mind. That's what we do as adults to make narrative of our experience. I don't think that children are making that similar narrative where they're, you know, we learn to make connections between motivations and actions as as we age, you know, but 
But those connections are much more kind of wondrous and odd to children. And, and, and your life is just so much more immediate and in the moment. And so I wanted to try and mimic that. That's really fascinating, the idea of having a child narrator and pulling those elements out because of it. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that when I when I was reading it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's I mean it, it it's tricky because at at the end of the book there's this time jump and it kind of moves into adolescence and that section of the book reads differently. You know, it is more narrative. It is more there's a, is more exposition because now he's doing that. You know, he's making a story up about his family. He's judging them. He's he's bringing, you know, kind of the the the, the adult mind to bear. But um but yeah, but the, the, so, so some people kind of resist that jump at the end, but I think it was the right move. <laughs> so Justin, are you working on anything right now? Uh, I'm working on the next book. Uh, that story in The New Yorker that you spoke of is probably going to be the basis. And there was another one in Harper's recently. And I'm working on some others, and they'll hopefully congeal themselves into a novel similar to this one. So do you find that it will, do you think it will be similar in the sense that it will be... Um vignettes strung in a string of pearls i don't know yet i don't know yet it's i'm, I'm definitely like obsessed with structure and i'm not i don't think that i'm the kind of i'm not a conventional novelist at all so it won't be you know 400 pages capturing the american experience with like a forward-moving chronology that's like perfectly clear you know i'm not going to do that um so i don't know what it will be yet though well, it was great having you on between the covers today great thanks we were talking today with Justin Torres, the author of We the Animals. You've been listening to Between the Covers. I'm David Naiman, your host.